It's going to take some convincing, but I think he'll make it to the back. There we go. Keep going. <laughs> it is uh, always interesting to be up front here, and I had no children's church to assist me with the child wrangling this morning, but uh, it, it's always fun to see their enthusiasm. Uh, we get so accustomed to these stories, and uh, for them, this is exciting stuff, to know that Jesus can call someone out of the grave. It's truly incredible, isn't it? Now, I know some of you are looking at me like I returned from the grave. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's been a little while since I've been up here, and it feels a little strange to be back home and in the pulpit, but it's good. It is good to be home. It's great to be back, and uh, yeah, thank you. It is good to be home. Now, I'm not sure how much you've been talking this up around town that we've gone on the trip to Israel, but I kid you not, I went to the mall yesterday to pick up a prescription at the pharmacy, and I must have had five or six different people who don't attend this church being like, how was your trip to Israel? So it seems like the word's out around town. So I've been having a lot of people asking me, did you enjoy your trip? What did you experience? All those sorts of things. Time does not allow for me to properly answer that question. We'd be here till at least supper time. So let me just give you a visual response of how we enjoyed our experience in Israel. Hold on one second here. Is it a good look for me? What do you think? <laughs> now, if you, don't, if you don't recognize this, this is what's called a yarmulke. And there was a number of different sites that we went to in Israel where we had to wear one of these. So I, I thought this was an interesting little souvenir to bring home. Now, in case you were worried when I put that on, no, we have not converted to Judaism. However, having been to Israel now, having experienced uh, so many wonderful things, the, to, to say that we left a part of our heart in Israel... Uh, would be accurate. There is something so profound about walking on the same ground where Jesus walked to retrace his footsteps, uh, to meditate in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, some of those things will never leave me my entire life, and it is a very powerful, powerful experience. So Leanne and I feel like God has given us a great gift to have been able to go on this, on this tour and we feel very thankful that we have this wonderful church family through whom this gift was given. And so from the bottom of our hearts, we just say thank you. We, we truly feel like God has blessed us. And we know that, that this is something that is going to be a blessing as we share it with others as well. So thank you. We are truly blessed. And uh, at some point in the near future, we do plan on having an evening where we'll have some pictures and different things to share a little bit more fully some of our experiences of what we've seen in Israel, so you'll all be invited to that. So uh, we'll let you know on that once we have some further plans on that. We're still trying to decompress, and uh, I was very glad to have Jason and Charmaine here today because I whipped this sermon together yesterday. Well, I didn't—I put it together yesterday. I'd been meditating on meditating on it all week. What I was going to say because the experiences there were so many different things that I wanted to share. But this is what I settled on here uh, today, and thank you, Jason and Charmaine, for leading us in worship. Uh, it's truly a, a blessed thing to be able to have you here and to share God's word as well, uh, the opportunity to do that. Would you now bow with me as we enter God's word? Father God, our hearts are full at your goodness. You are a loving and gracious God. You are slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, and for this we give you thanks. 
We thank you as well today, Lord, that we are counted amongst your children, that we are in your family, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what you've done through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You have done everything. You have covered our sins, removed them from us as far as the east is from the west, and all we have to do is receive it. Trust you as our Lord and Savior and enter into this blessed life that you give to all of us who would follow after you. So thank you, God, for everything that you've done for us. And so, Lord, out of hearts of gratitude, we simply declare we love you. We love you, Lord, and we want to love you more. So help us, God. Give us strength today to love you more deeply than we did when we came here this morning. Father, by your Spirit, we pray now that you would open our hearts to receive your word. Help us, Lord, to receive it in such a way that we wouldn't just be listeners of the word, but also hearers and doers of the word, that we would go out and put into practice that which you would have for us today. So bless your word. Speak through me, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Psalm 84, I would invite you to turn there with me in your Bibles this morning. Psalm 84, we're going to just quickly take a look at the first few verses of Psalm 84. This is known as a psalm of pilgrimage. Let's begin in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty! My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Selah. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. For better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you. This is one of the most beautiful psalms that I'm sure many of you have meditated on before. It is known as a pilgrim's psalm because it is describing the journey of a pilgrim, a traveler longing to go on the journey up to Jerusalem, to Zion, to be able to worship God. Now the concept of pilgrimage is something that has almost been lost in our modern society today. Sure, we all go on vacations, we go on trips, we like to get away on a holiday. But a pilgrimage is something more than just a weekend in the city or suntanning on the beach. The main difference is that the aim of a vacation or a holiday is personal enjoyment or relaxation. While the aim of a pilgrimage is to travel to a specific place in order to connect with God in a deeper and more intimate way. That is the theme of this psalm. It was most likely written while King David was the king of Israel, during the glory days of Israel, if you will. In Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 16, we are told there that every Jewish male was required to worship at the temple at least three times per year, if at all possible. 
So no matter where you lived in Israel, whether in the far north or the far south or somewhere in between, at least three times a year you would need to make your pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so for most families, those trips to the big city of Jerusalem, although relative in size, we got to see firsthand that David's city is actually quite tiny. Jerusalem today is quite large, but David's city is actually quite small. But for them, it was the big city. And so this was the highlight of the year for them, going there, going to see all the merchants, going to see all the sites, and of course, going to see the temple. The highlight of Jewish life was to go to the Temple Mount, to see the temple, to hear the worship, and to bring your sacrifice before God. However, this pilgrimage for many, many people was not an easy trip to make. Many had to travel great distances at considerable cost in order to worship God at the temple. Not to mention that we got to see firsthand that the hills of Judea are not gentle nor rolling. They are steep and often treacherous and rocky. There are many places along the journey where there is little or no water. And if it is a particularly dry time of year, you can go a long distance without any speck of water. So you'd better not have any trouble along the way or you can find yourself in real danger. Not to mention there are robbers along the roads. So these sorts of things were a daily reality for those who were on the road. Now as we consider this, the personal cost, the time that you would have to take away from work to go to Jerusalem three times a year, we see here their dedication. They were dedicated to going to worship God. This was not something they took flippantly nor casually. This was a priority, a top priority for Jewish life. And so this psalm, Psalm 84, is believed to be one of those songs that the pilgrims would sing along the road to encourage themselves along the way. That yes, this journey was worth it. That the end, the destination, would be worth the trials and difficulties that they experienced along the road. And so as they sing this song, we hear the sounds of even one day in the glory of God's house is better than a thousand days anywhere else. This traveler is even jealous of the birds who get to build their nests on the side of God's altar. He's jealous of them because they get to live there year-round, whereas they only go a few days in a year. And so this pilgrim, he's left everything behind. He's just yearning, longing, craving to be at the house of his God. There is nothing in life sweeter to him than to be in the Lord's house. And so as we consider this Let me give you a few tips, a few traveler's tips from this pilgrim to another pilgrim as each one of us journey along life's road. The first tip I'd like to give you for traveler's advice on this pilgrim's way is live your life for a destination that excites you. I want you to try this with your kids. If you have kids, I dare you to give this a try. Tell them you're going on a vacation, all right? You following along? Tell them you're going on a vacation. What are they going to say? Where are we going? Right? So you tell them you're going on a vacation. Where are we going, Dad? Then just get as excited as you can. Put a big smile on your face. Start jumping up and down and say, We're going to the dentist. Huh? And see how they respond. You might need to duck. Just, just throwing it out there. Actually, on second thought... Don't do this. This bad idea. Bad idea. Okay, like this idea of going to a place that excites you. How often 
Are we excited about where we're going in life? And does it show in how we're living, in our actions? How is it that we often react the same way when it comes to going to church or Christian fellowship? Do we react like we're going to the dentist or do we react like we're going to Zion? Let me ask you, when is the last time that you simply craved to worship God in his house with his people? When's the last time that you were just craving it? You just had to have it. I hope it was this morning, right? I I hope you woke up this morning and said, yes, today's Sunday. I'm going to worship God. I hope that was you this morning. But the sad reality is, is that too often we look for any small excuse to not be in church on Sunday morning, to not go to worship, to not be in Christian fellowship. Any excuse will do. And, and we take this attitude towards this being an obligation or a chore to go to God's house. This is the exact opposite of what this pilgrim is saying about his attitude to going up to Zion. He cannot wait. Nothing's going to stop him. He craves to be in God's house to worship. And let me just tell you, if, if you feel like being here this morning is an obligation, this psalm is speaking to you and it's saying, if going to worship God is a chore, then you need to give your head a shake. Being able to worship God in his house is a privilege. It is not an obligation, my friends. If it is an obligation for a second, just go home right now. Being here is the privilege above all privileges that we can be God's people. That we can come before him and sing songs of praise, hear his word, and be lifted up together. To be challenged, to be stewards of his word, and and given opportunities to say, I'm going to partner in putting the Bible in someone's hand and seeing God do a miracle. That is what we get the opportunity to do here each and every week. And you see, the fact is that our attitude towards worship often reflects our lack of perspective on who God is. Our perspective on who God is is far too often too small. And when we, when we come to worship with heavy hearts as though we don't want to be here, I think it reflects our lack of understanding on how incredible Zion and God's eternal home truly is. Will we get tired of worship in heaven? I've been asked that question before. Is that all we're going to do there? We're just going to worship? Really? Like we're going to sing songs forever? I'm going to check out after 15 minutes, I'm pretty sure. That kind of attitude shows us we have no concept of God's glory, nor heaven. That we can worship him for 10,000 years, and then 10,000 years more, and then forevermore. Because we will never grow weary and tired of the glory of God. It will thrill us every second in a new way. This is the God we have the privilege of speaking about here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4. to 4. Peter has the same enthusiasm when he writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is secured for you in heaven. Wow, I hope that does something to you. I hope that thrills you just a little bit. So if for even a moment we have begun to view worshiping God as a trip to the dentist on the same level of excitement, a chore or an obligation, we need to ask God right now, start working on my heart, oh God. Start here with me. What's wrong with my heart? 
Why don't I long crave worshiping you the way this pilgrim does? Work in me today that we can agree with verse 2. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. Better is one day in your house than a thousand anywhere else. I pray that we can have just a little bit more of that kind of enthusiasm for heaven when we leave here today. Number two, traveler's advice. Look to God alone for your strength. Verse five, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Where does your strength come from? Pumping iron at the gym, protein shakes, P90X, going for walks, pedal bike, what? Where does your strength come from? Does it come from yourself or does it come from him? This is one of the most important lessons that any one of us can learn in this life. Our strength comes from God. You see, Jesus is both the author and finisher of our faith. He begins the work of salvation in us, he continues it, and he will complete it until the day that we stand before the Father in heaven. And so in order to live this life, we must have his strength. His strength to save us, his strength to keep us, and his strength to enable us to walk with him every single day. Our own resources are completely inadequate. And yet so often our greatest battlefield is still learning just the simple fact of trusting him day by day for this strength. To not do it on our own, but to do it in him. Zechariah 4 verse 6 says, It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, declares the Lord. The first two months of this year reminded me of this very simple yet profound truth in a personal way. The first week after New Year's, the boys both got sick one after the other. Then Leanne got strep throat. Then I got strep throat. Then the boys got sick again somewhere in there. I forget the order. It's all muddled in my head. Short time after thinking we're finally getting back on the mend, Leanne has a little accident on the stairs. She trips, falls, goes down, breaks her foot. Now, in all this period of time, I've been hanging in there. I'm gutting it out. You know, I can do this. I'm strong enough. I can, I can handle this. And so I'm still doing everything I normally do. I'm planning youth. I'm leading youth. I'm studying. I'm preaching. I'm visiting. But it's starting to wear on me. And I kept telling myself, I can handle this. But the reality was... I started feeling like I was chasing everything and accomplishing nothing. And so when Leanne broke her foot, I suddenly realized how helpless I really was when I looked at everything in the house and realized when I saw that something wasn't picked up or the dishes needed to be done or the boys' diapers needed to be changed, guess what? If I wasn't doing it, it wasn't going to (laughs) happen. Reality hit in a real hurry of just how helpless I really was. I needed help. And guess what? You came. The church came. Family came. Help came. Encouragement came. Prayers came. And I was overwhelmed with this sense of, where would I have been without this help? My strength was not enough. My strength comes from God, and he ushered it into my life through you, his people. It was humbling, but it was humbling in the right way, a good way. I am not strong enough to do this on my own. None of us are. We need God, we need his strength, and we need each other. Because so often his strength comes into our lives through each other. And what a beautiful lesson that was for me. And so 
This trap of self-sufficiency is one that we fall into so quickly, so easily. Islands unto ourselves. I can do this. I've got this. I don't need help from anyone, not even God. And God says, no, lean on me. I will be your strength. I will help you. But we have to trust him. Thirdly, put your heart into the journey. If we're trusting him for our strength, then put your whole heart into the journey. Sometimes as Christians... We're, we're walking the Christian, the pilgrim pathway, if you will, and we're pacing ourselves. We're saying, you know, if I got another 60 years to go, if I run this life as though it's a sprint, I'm just going to burn out. So we pace ourselves and we hold back in our witness. We hold back in our enthusiasm and worship. We hold back in our service to God and his church and we tell ourselves, this is strategic. We're just pacing ourselves. But what we're really doing is we're holding back from giving God our best. We're holding back from giving him our whole hearts. Because if he is our strength, we can give him everything we've got for today. And then guess what? He will renew our strength again to give him everything we've got again tomorrow. Don't we believe that he can do that? Or are we just pacing ourselves, going along at a nice, even keel? Why? Because we're relying on our own strength. But if we're living in his strength, we can give him our whole hearts Every single day. Listen to this. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. Are you half-hearted in your pilgrimage or whole-hearted? That's an important question for you to consider. There's a story told of a great English stage actor named McCready. A preacher once asked him, what is the reason for the difference between you and me? You are appearing before crowds night after night with fiction. And the crowds come wherever you go. They cheer you on. They, they chant your name. And here I am preaching the essential and unchangeable truth of God's word. And I'm not getting any crowds at all. After some thought, McCready replied, It's really quite simple. I can tell you the difference between us. I present my fiction as though it were truth. But you present your truth as though it were fiction. You see, too often, our lives fail to make an impact for God because they lack conviction. Are we utterly convinced of the truth of who Jesus Christ is in our lives? Or are we living as though we kind of sort of believe it, but not really? Because if we're lacking conviction in how we live, my friends, this will make a difference in how people view us and in the impact our witness will have. You see, the Apostle Paul, he is the epitome of conviction. Listen to what he wrote. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That, my friends, is conviction. That is passion. And like Paul, we ought not to be people who are just letting life pass us by. Sadly, there are many, many, many Christians who bear Christ's name who are doing just that. Letting life pass them by. And in a spiritual sense, they're just sitting there. They're sitting there. Rather than a pilgrim, they're sitting there like a pylon. A pylon on the side of the road, and traffic is whizzing by, and they're watching it go. But they're not going anywhere. They're just sitting there. And the core question that God asks of each of us on this journey is this. Will we be spiritual pilgrims? who set our sights on him and not allow anything to stop us until we arrive in Zion? Or will we be spiritual pylons, 
Those who are content to just sit there, lazy and idle, on the side of the road and watch life pass them by. Too caught up in the daily affairs of their own life, paying the bills, going to work, doing their recreation, doing their own thing, but too busy in their own minds to pursue God fully, completely. Pilgrim or pylon, the choice is ours. So let me ask you, how badly do you want God? How badly do you want to sit in his presence, to know the intimacy of a deeper and closer walk with Jesus Christ? How bad do you want it? Because our desire makes all the difference. If we're not really all that interested in him, then guess what? It's going to show in our enthusiasm. It's going to show in our lack of passion, our lack of conviction. And so God asks us, to what lengths are we willing to go in order to know the sweetness of a deeper walk with him. And so we have to give him our whole hearts and pursue him with everything that we've got. Fourthly, we need to trust God to turn our tears into blessings. This is such a pivotal point of this pilgrim's psalm. Verse 6. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they will make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Now, to the initial ears, this doesn't mean anything. The Valley of Baca doesn't mean anything to me or you. At least it didn't until I began studying it. The the word Baca is a Hebrew word meaning tears. And so the literal translation is the Valley of Tears. Think about that for a moment. On our pilgrim's path, there will inevitably be valleys of tears. Valleys of sorrows. And now the scholars who looked at this psalm didn't know exactly where this valley of Baca was that the psalmist is referring to. They figure it's somewhere around Jerusalem in the steep valleys, but there's no place by that name currently today. So no one knows exactly where it was. However, as we were touring through Israel, we went up to the Golan Heights. And there in the Golan Heights, we visited an old army bunker on the top of this high hill overlooking Syria. Yes, we were on the border of Syria looking into it. Crazy. If you watch your news, you'd think, wow, it must have been dangerous. No, it wasn't. It was peaceful, actually. There we were on the top of this high hill looking down into Syria. And as I'm looking down from this old army bunker, there's this razor wire at the bottom of the hill. And kind of stuck in the middle of this razor wire is a sign that says, the Valley of Tears. I did a little research afterwards. I took a picture of it. I looked it up yesterday. And the reason that this place was given the name the Valley of Tears is because the plain below was the location of the most bloody and pivotal battle of the Yom Kippur War in 1973. Massively outnumbered, the Israeli force taken completely by surprise by the Syrian sneak attack had little to no chance of survival, let alone victory. They were outnumbered 10 to 1. And there was just a vast onslaught of army tanks coming at them. They had two small units to hold this entire plane alone. It looked like there was no hope. It was just going to be a slaughter and the Syrian forces were going to steamroll into the country. Sure defeat was, was really the only option. Yet somehow those two units managed to hold that ground For four days they held that ground against the onslaught of the Syrians. And finally, after four days of bloody battle, the Syrians had taken so many casualties that they turned tail and fled. The country was saved. 
And to this day, Israel and every Jew can tell you exactly what happened on the day of Yom Kippur in 1973. It was the day of salvation for their country because of those two units who held their ground in the face of what looked like sure defeat. And so today, as we consider this, it is inevitable that at some point we will enter a valley of Baca, a valley of tears where it looks like our defeat is sure. We will be in a valley so deep and so dark that it seems all hope is lost and tears are our only companion. I know that many of you have passed through such a place. And perhaps some of you are there today. And perhaps some of you are hiding it today. To you, God's word declares that if the Lord is your strength, and if your heart is set on the journey, you will see the valley of tears become a spring. A place of sure defeat becomes a place of refreshing, strengthening, and even victory. Someone once said, Faith dares to dig blessings out of hardships. There is no olive oil without the squeezing of the olives. There is no wine without the pressing of the grapes. There is no salvation without the cross. This, my friends, is what God can do. And so trust God to bring you not only through the valley, but to transform your personal valley of tears into a valley of blessing. And fifth and finally, trust God to lead you safely home. Verse 7 says, They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now this pilgrim psalmist is just longing to get to Jerusalem, to the house of the Lord, and here's the assurance. God will bring him through safe all the way. No matter what valleys, no matter what robbers are along the way, listen to verse 11, it declares, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. What does the sun do? The sun lights our path. What does a shield do? It defends us from the arrows of our enemies. God is our light and our protector. He will see us through to the destination, safe and sound. And so it all comes down to this final verse, verse 12, to those who trust in him. This is the conclusion. Do you trust him? Do you trust him today? Do you trust him completely, holding nothing back? If you do, this psalm is yours. You can declare it. You can claim it. The promises in it are sure. So set your heart on the journey wholeheartedly. Set your face towards Jerusalem, towards God's throne, and he will see you safely through. No matter what valleys, no matter what things lie in between here and there, we can trust him, and we will walk with him day by day from strength to strength until we arrive safely home. May God bless you as we absorb his word today. Father, this word is rich. It has so many layers to it that speak to our lives today. And I just want to right now take the moment, Lord, just by the Holy Spirit, anyone here, Lord, who is in that valley, oh, Spirit, would you just minister to them right now, to their hearts, to know that you are near, that you are there, and that you can transform their valley of tears into a place of refreshing. That, Lord, in the place of trial, you can bring about victory. And you can bring about, Lord, a new song to your glory and praise. And so, Father, we we pray that today for each one of us. We pray, Lord, for this church. 
We pray, God, that as we pilgrim, as we are pilgrims along your path and as we set our faces towards you, oh God, encourage us today to continue to pursue you with everything we've got, holding nothing back. May it be pleasing to you. May you use us, Lord, in whatever way you see fit for your glory and for the furthering of your kingdom, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.